Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Big time in sports, heading to another golf major, MLS All-Star Game, Hall of Fame game kicks off the NFL preseason, NBA, NHL off-field turbulence, Major League Baseball trade deadline, but that's not what we're talking about today. Talking about the seventh edition of the Horror Sports MVP Index Power 100 Athlete Ranking. We've done this, as we said, seven years in a row. Surprising result, but that's what this is all about. Amy Tenery is here to talk to me about it. So, Amy, what do you think of this whole process, and and what do you want to talk about? Hey, Rick, how's it going? Awesome. Awesome. All right, I'm very, very excited about this because so I got the power ranking that you sent me. I have a lot of questions for you because some of this makes a lot of sense to me, and some of it I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't even understand. So I'm hoping you can walk me through it. So to start out, so I'm looking at the top three. We got Russell Westbrook, Matt Ryan, LeBron James. Sure. Okay. But maybe you can tell me how you guys came up with this list, what your sort of metrics are for creating the ranking. Really important to get that out of the way first and explain what it is yes. and what it's not. What it's not is some subjective bar analysis of who's the most popular athlete. Um, what it is is a consistent set of metrics that was measured with our partners at MVP Index. It's, they've created a 50% factor, which is the athlete's power, on-field statistics in his or her sport relative to all other participants and averages, stats, etc. But the other piece is called the power off-field 50%. It is social media heavy, but it's also media metrics. MVP Index is only they can come up with a unique scoring algorithm that blends three key social media metrics, reach, engagement, and conversation in the calculation. And like other indicators that frequently and only measure reach, which is the athlete's potential audience size, these components provide a more focused picture of an athlete's influence and the overall value of his or her social media footprint, because that's what a corporation or teams or leagues or an athlete's agent is going to look at. Right, right. Okay, so I was looking at the list last year, and, you know, we know I'm a little bit biased, but last year I saw Tom Brady at, like, number 12. I'm looking at the list this year. He's not even on top 25. What happened? He wins a Super Bowl and you bump him. Not only is he Super Bowl, but he had a better statistical year than he did last year as far as the rankings were concerned, and he deserves to be up there. But let's remember, the methodology focuses more than it ever has before on social media. It's consistent year to year to year, and we've done that Uh over the past seven years. The only thing that's changed is the emphasis on social media. And why? Because we're a lot more of a social media society today than we were seven years ago. So the fact that Tom Brady has decided, good or bad, not to communicate through social media, and we've seen recently, without getting specific, there are a lot of advantages of not communicating through social media, uh, certainly in all walks of life, but that means that he's not up here, and that also means that people like Russell Westbrook and Matt Ryan and LeBron James, one, two, and three, are significant because when you look at their social media landscape, it dominates. 
Right. I mean, I, I will say Tom Brady's Facebook profile is a delight, but I understand. You know, he's not on Twitter. He's not on Snapchat. Clearly, I, I, I have the things that surprised me. I'm, I'm wondering what you're surprised by when you look at this list. Was there anybody you saw, you know, in the top 10 or top 25 when you thought, well, oh, geez, how did they end up here? Some of the new people, let's say, uh, the you know, everybody's a hater, and I only mean this in a kidding way. The beauty of this uh, sense of the release <laughs> is we've had more people call me names than ever before, which is great because it engages in debate. And by the way, there is no right yeah, answer, sure. as we know. And the most important thing to me was to keep the methodology consistent so we can see year to year to year. Having said that, uh-huh. we have some people like Zeke Elliott, who's up in the top ten, uh, Brad Keselowski, right. who is number five. Lydia Ko is the top golfer, male or female. David Price is a top baseball player. And some would say, you know, why? What does that mean? Well, you can explain it all, like I said, with reach and analytics. And then we have, as number 11, uh, Joanna Jedrzejczyk, uh, who is the top female MMA fighter. And all that means is that that has become a mainstream sport, and everybody sees that as the key to the future. Now, of course... You know, she's up there, but we also have uh, Conor McGregor, who we'll see what happens in that big fight with uh, Floyd Mayweather in about three weeks right. from the taping of this. So those are a whole bunch of surprises. But the non-surprise for me is that everybody hates me like they have the last six years, and I don't care. <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you're prepared for the onslaught, the, uh, the backlash. Um, all right, so maybe you can you just... Maybe walk me through some of your, you know, predictions, I guess. You know, now that we're looking at this power ranking, obviously there's the celebrity factor that, that weighs into this. But maybe you can walk me through, you know, what you think will happen next year. Do you think this list is going to stay the same? Do you think, yeah, okay, Matt Ryan's at number two, but I don't know if the Falcons are going to get to the Super Bowl again anytime soon. So that. I'm going to get my hate now. But so what do you, what do you see happening going forward in terms of how this power ranking shapes out uh, over the next year? And Amy, let's remember something else too. The cutoffs of the power 100 from 2016 and early this last year, uh, arbitrary, but again, consistent. For example, Russell Westbrook, number one, but the playoffs weren't included. And he had a couple of good games, but they only went, remember, the Thunder one round in the playoffs. Uh, The Matt Ryan Super Bowl, yes, uh, he probably, Matt Ryan, wishes they cut it off at the end of the first half, but that's another story. Uh, You know, James Harden is up there. He had a great regular season as well. LeBron was number one the last two years. So a lot of it has to do with the cutoff seasonally. I will say predictively, and I think it's very important, when you look at the top 100, 27 are NFL players. 17 NBA, 16 tennis, 11 golf, 9 baseball, 6 NASCAR. What that means is the tennis superstars are prevailing and will continue to prevail because, listen, they're out there alone for the world to see for four hours at a time. And, of course, that's a big deal. The NFL players, it just speaks to the American popularity of football. Baseball needs to get its act together a little bit more, and they will. And obviously, the superstars will continue to survive and thrive. Same thing with golfers. They're out there. Uh, That's why there are 11 of them. So prediction is the superstar continues to drive the day. Yeah. Well, you mentioned golf, and that's interesting. You mean, you make a good point. They are out there on their own. There's nobody there to distract from their star power. But 
we've only got one in the top 25. It just this sort of speak. I know we've we've talked in the past, but about uh, sort of the the vacuum left by um, Tiger Woods. But do you think that sort of speaks to where the sport is now that it's kind of in flux, or do you think it's sort of business as usual that some years there's going to be a lot of golfers in the top 25, and some years there's going to be far fewer? It's cyclical. Uh, you know, Jordan Spieth was right. clearly way up there two years ago. He had a major uh, gap, let's say, uh, during the the reporting period from last year. Uh, and now he wins a major. He wins the British. He looks like he's on target again. So he'll be up there uh, when, uh, for example, uh, we had uh, big-time guys, Dustin Johnson, number one in the world. He's 38 on the list. He'll rise. Ricky Fowler, 54. He is an incredible social media machine, but he hasn't won a major yet. So I think uh, Lexi Thompson is 56, and she is the most popular woman golfer. So when they continue to win and improve their game a bit, they'll rise on the list. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, thank you for walking me through that. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm going to continue to digest this list and debate it with my friends because I think it's really fascinating. So thank you. Well, and and I appreciate that. And I've debated it with my friends, but as you know, my friends have become enemies after I start uh, taking personal <laughs> offense at the argument. And I keep saying the methodology is consistent and nobody cares. But you know what? That's the beauty of this. And we'll look forward to doing this again next year. And remember, we're keying to the beginning of training camps now. We have a very interesting guest who has a lot of different perspectives on life. Amy Trask ran the Oakland Raiders business operations under Al Davis for many years, left uh, recently. She's been involved in commentary and media. She has written books about women in sports and women in business. And now she's the CEO of the new three-on-three basketball league, and we'll cover that in great length. But Amy Trask is a true renaissance woman. She had a lot of perspective about sports and business. We caught up with her last week. Here's Amy Trask. Interesting perspective with somebody who went not only to the traditional road of sports business, but she's done a lot that most people haven't even begun to think about. We'll talk about the bio but it's not only the Raiders and writing a book and philanthropic issues and advisory board of the L.A. Sports and Entertainment Commission and now CEO of Big Three Basketball and many, many more. We haven't even scratched the surface. Amy Trask, how's that for an intro? Well, that was quite an intro, and I will admit something that I was actually a bit glad you didn't uh, share, but I'll share it anyway. I think we've known one another about 100 years, which talks to just how old I really am. Yeah, well, collectively. Talk about that. Yeah. Wow, oh, wow. But, yes, it's, it's been a pleasure to work with you over the years. Man, 100 years. Yeah, let's start that. Let's kill this interview and start it again, but I think you're probably right. So the Raiders was at least 30 years of that. So 97 to 13, um, obviously you were the business person with the Raiders and the – NFL first female front office executive, which is obviously an incredibly big deal. Um, that 30 years flew by, right? I mean, you think back on it, and it's it sure give me your perspective, yeah. You know, it sure did. Um, you're right, 97 uh, was when Al assigned a big title to me, but I began my career with the Raiders in the mid-'80s. And when I tell people I was with the organization almost 30 years, 
I, I think I should follow up and say, but, you know, I started when I was 12. And, of course, the fact is I didn't. But it was an absolutely sensational almost 30 years. Uh, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. I began with the organization in the mid-'80s, as I said, as an intern, and it, it evolved from there. And you talk about it, you, 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 you live through it, and you write a book called You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career at the National Football League. Give us kind of the one takeaway. Wow. Well, you know, I, I shared my reflections on my career. I shared my thoughts about business in general, football in particular. Uh, let me share with you something that has served me well over my career, and I share this in the book. It is the advice my mother gave me from the time I was a very, very, very young girl. And as mothers are wont to do, she must have told me this seven zillion times as I grew up, grew up to thine own self be true. Uh, I didn't realize till I had almost graduated from Cal that my mother didn't actually coin that phrase. That was actually a guy named William Shakespeare. Yeah, guy, um, just a minor guy, I, right. Yeah, you know, it's, to think my mom stole it from him or he stole it from her. Uh, the, the point is, what served me well over the course of my three decades with the Raiders in the NFL and still serves me well to this day is being myself. And I would encourage anyone who wants to have great adventures to be true to that to their self and, and if I may Rick I'll, I'll share probably the overriding message that people have come away with from the book which is to comport yourself without regard to gender I'm asked all the time by young women um, how to succeed how to advance in business and I give them two pieces of advice um, one work hard work really 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 hard and when you think you can't work any harder, find a way to work harder. And number two, stop thinking about the fact that you're a woman. It does not make any sense whatsoever to me for a woman to walk into a room with the hope and the expectation that others won't consider her gender if she is thinking about her gender. Do your job. My sense is that Al Davis is somebody who respects a person, regardless of gender, who use those business principles to deal with him. Am I right? Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, this is a man who hired without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, religion, or any other individuality which has no bearing whatsoever on whether someone can do a job. And, and if I may share, and one of the most special moments of my career, um, and I describe it at length in the book, I won't do that now, was during a meeting when the circumstances warranted and Al said to all assemble, oh, Amy, I don't consider Amy a woman. And that was such a significant moment to me because isn't that what we dream and we hope and we expect that we are going to be considered based on merits and not based on our ethnicity or gender or race or religion. And, and that is how he did his job. Words to live by. One more Raiders question. Do you at all uh, regret the fact that it's a new era in Vegas with significant dollars and a new stadium and everything and you're not involved? No, I don't. Um, I, I wish the organization well, but I, I made a decision that um, when, when I chose to leave the organization, one of the factors in that decision was I did not want to be part of removing the team from the community. And so, you know, I'm not looking to create an uproar when I make that comment. It's just as honest as honest can be. I wish the organization well. 
um, I wish the fans well. I really wish Raider Nation the very, very best. I want the Raider Nation to be as happy as happy can be. I know some will be heartbroken, but no, I'm not at all disappointed to not be part of moving the team from the community. And by the way, that's a hell of a comment, so to thine own self be true, I guess is the answer. Um, There you go. And a great segue into Big Three, which is an incredible, incredible organization. So we have interviewed Jeff Quatnitz, and we're going to have him on and the benefit of his wisdom, and he's an entertainment mogul non-pareil. How did you connect with the organization and define your role and go from there? Well, um, it was late this past spring. The uh, Big Three had been formed and announced. Uh, in January of this year, and in the late, late spring, Ice Cube and his um, tremendous business partner you just referenced, Jeff, approached me and asked me about joining the league. And after I said no about umpteen times, um, well, here I am, the tremendous, tremendous recruiters, among other things. Uh, look, I have. I, I want to share something with you. These are both tremendous, tremendous businessmen. And while people know Ice Cube for his tremendous artistic talent, and look, those who know me know I have been an NWA and an Ice Cube fan back to the time when they began their artistic musical career. Um, he is every bit as tremendous a businessman as he is an artist. And um, there's a similarity, there's a segue here between the point you just made about Al Davis um, and Ice Cube and Jeff. Um, I've had the privilege and the pleasure now of working for all of these men um, that share something in common. They regard people without any respect to gender, um, race, ethnicity, religion. But, you know, here I have had the luxury and the pleasure and the privilege of working for men like Al Davis and Ice Cube, and that's a similarity they have. My gender is irrelevant to them. And you've also got a heck of an organization as far as concept and a business plan. Why does Big Three Basketball succeed over the next five years? Um, Well, Look, we all know that three-on-three basketball, three-on-three half-court basketball is beloved throughout the United States, and you can't go to a park or a a beach and and see a basketball court where three-on-three is not played by people of all ages. What I have learned since joining Big Three is that this game is just off the charts popular around the world. So Big Three has been not only tremendously well-received in the United States, but we are already being broadcast. We're three games into our, to our business, three games in, and we are already broadcast in almost three dozen countries around the world. And um, there's a list of additional countries that we're trying to process as quickly as we can to get them on board as well. But this is something that is going to be beloved throughout the world. And, you know, if I can wax philanthropic or wax poetic, if you will, for a moment, Maybe we can be part of bringing together people around the world through this commonality, this love for the game of three-on-three half-court basketball. People that might otherwise think they have nothing in common may find that they share this passion. And you had the good fortune to sign on as CEO of an organization whose major sport is now an Olympic sport in the next Olympics or two without getting specific as to whether you're going to be identified and aligned with USA Basketball or or FIBA or any of them, the concept of three-on-three basketball in the Olympics has to be good for you, right? Oh, sure. And, um, you know, shortly after I joined Big Three, someone, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, 
uh, but someone associated with the NC2A announced that um, he envisioned within the next 10 years an NC2A three-on-three championship, uh, basketball championship. And then, of course, we know, and you just referenced, that the IOC made its announcement not too long ago. And um, I will admit to being perhaps just a bit, some would say snarky, others might say childish, but when they announced that, uh, my tweet in response was, you're welcome. So um, it sure is exciting to see how beloved this will be around the world. Well, I think that's wonderful, except now, you know, given, given who's tweeting and what they're tweeting about, I, I think you're, you, you can rise above the normal snarky tweets if I can give you a little bit of advice. Well, you that's really... as snarky as I ever get, and I consider it humorous. <laughs> but in my Twitter village, we do not – we engage in civil discourse only. When we disagree, we do so agreeably. Um, and we are reasoned and reasonable. So we don't, there's no mean, I have a large Twitter village, and, and we just, we're not mean to one another. I think what you need to do is retire quickly as CEO of Big Three and rewrite the, war, the rules for a worldwide Twitter village. What do you think? We're working on it, and, and I will tell you, um, I have a roughly 30,000 village, so it's not, you know, huge. But I will say on the rarest of rare, rare, rare occasions, someone will tweet something that's a little bit mean, and I will immediately reply and say, hey, you know, we can disagree, but we don't have to be nasty about it. And let me tell you, to a person, the three or four people that have been a little mean um, who've received my response have written back and saying, you know what, you're right. You're absolutely right. Let's do this nicely. So maybe, maybe Twitter Village will take over the world. Really appreciate it. We're going to do this again when Big Three season so. is over, and on and on and on. So thank you very much, Amy Trask. Well, Rick, I hope we do it again. It's always my pleasure and privilege to speak with you. You may not want to speak with me again after I announce we're 100 years old. Um, but the other thing is, and I'll leave you with this, let us know if you're in a city where we're playing a game. We'd love to have you with us. I will see you in Philly on Sunday. The answer is yes, I've accepted. Amy Trask, thanks a lot. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrell. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hobte. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.